Welcome to In the Telling, a podcast that highlights amazing Black family stories from everyday people like you. I'm Miranda. And I'm Steven. And together we are the co-founders of the Nomadic Archivist Project, an initiative that partners for organizations, institutions, and individuals to establish, preserve, and enhance collections that explore the African diasporic experience. You see, families are universes unto themselves, and they are complex and complicated. Love stories, rivalries, naming practices, absences, stories about migrations, pain, surprise, and forgiveness. If we are fortunate, we learn our past from those who lived it. Often it's by our own efforts and labors to uncover pieces of truths about our own family history. So join us as we journey with you on In the Telling. I would like to introduce today's guest, Bernice Bennett. Bernice Alexander Bennett is an award-winning author, genealogist, nationally recognized guest speaker, storyteller, and producer host of the popular Research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio program. She is also the first recipient of the Ida B. Wells Service Award given by the sons and daughters of the United States Middle Passage for her dedication to broadcast stories about enslaved and indentured ancestors of African descent. She also received the Elizabeth Clark Lewis Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society Genealogy Award in 2019 for original research in support of African-American genealogy. Bennett is on the board of directors for the National Genealogical Society and one of the founders of the Midwest African-American Genealogy Institute. A New Orleans native and current resident in Maryland, enjoyed a 35-year career in domestic and international public health. She received an undergraduate degree from Grambling State University and a graduate degree in public health from the University of Michigan. Her genealogical research centers on Southeast Louisiana and Edgefield in Greenwood County, South Carolina. Her South Carolina journey is chronicled in Our Ancestors, Our Stories, which won the 2018 International Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society Genealogy Book Award for Nonfiction Short Stories. Her forthcoming book, Black Homesteaders of the South, will be published by the History Press October 24th, 2022. Welcome to In the Telling, Bernice. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to share with everyone the topic that we will be discussing today. We're very much looking forward to hearing more about this. This is not something that um, we have discussed yet um, in the telling um, around Black homesteaders. And so this is very exciting to be able to speak with you about this today. It offers our listeners a way to rethink and perhaps enhance their ancestral research. And so as a way to begin and ground our conversation, can you talk a little bit about the Homestead Act of 1862? Thank you so much. And this is something that you don't hear a lot about. And that is the Homestead Act of 1862. And when you think of what was going on in this country in 1862, we were in a civil war. And the president at that time was Abraham Lincoln. And so the big cry in 1862, and this act of course was passed in 1863, was to go west. 
to go west as far as you can. We're talking about states that were non-slave owning states. And this would give people an opportunity to get up to 160 acres of public land. Think about that. That is a lot of land. Wow, that's amazing. So this is what this act was all about, to move the population west. And so you hear about the frontier. You hear about a little house on the prairie. Yes. But you don't hear a lot about Black homesteaders getting this land. Absolutely. I've never heard a story like that before. Everyone could benefit from um, 160 acres of land? First of all, you had to be a United States citizen or intended citizen, which means that an immigrant could apply for this land. You had to be over the age of 21. You could never uh, born arms against the, the United States. Uh, you had to live on this land for a certain period of time and you had to cultivate this land. So you couldn't just go in there, claim it. You had to actually live there and you had to fill out an application and a small application fee. Okay. Now, back to 1862, what was going on? We had the war. Mm -hmm. What was happening with African-Americans at that time? Many were enslaved. Mm -hmm. However, by 1866, there was another act called the Southern Homestead Act because the war was now over. And the states, the southern states were now open for land to formerly enslaved individuals. Okay. And they were now citizens because of the 14th Amendment, mm -hmm. which meant that, that opened the door for African-Americans to own land or to apply for land. The problem with the Southern Homestead Act, however, is that it was poorly administered. And by 1876, that act was repealed, but it did not take away the opportunity mm. for formerly enslaved individuals to apply for the land. Okay. Somebody was paying attention and that mm -hmm. would include those black people <laughs> that said, I don't want to be a sharecropper. Right. I'm going to get some of this land too. At least this is kind of my scenario about the story. <laughs> I also want to let you all know that women could also apply for this land. Oh, wow. So we have women. Oh, yes. Women, African Americans, uh, immigrants were all eligible if they were over the age of 21 and followed the criteria that I mentioned. That, that is amazing. Um, in your research into this, what, what do you think is the, was the percentage of um, Black landowners during that time that took advantage of the Homestead Act? Well, let me explain to you something else. Okay. You would not find race mentioned on these applications. Wow. Therefore, we don't know how many Black people applied mm -hmm. for this land. 
that's where the research comes in mm -hmm. because it means that we, meaning African-Americans have to start looking in the records to see if our ancestors own land. If there's any documentation, let's say on the census where they're listed as a farmer on the census and they own land. Mm -hmm. The question then is how did they own land? Yes. Where was this land located? Is there a non-population census or the agriculture census? Well, you will see your ancestor listed with some acreage. Where did they get it from? That's where people have to really start thinking and looking for the land. And this is something that I think people just haven't paid as much attention to. You have to say, wait a minute, his name is listed as a farmer. If you're not a farmer on the census, you're a laborer, you're something else. But if you're a farmer, that's an occupation that's mm -hmm. saying something. And that's where you have to start doing your research. Well, I wanna take you to my own scenario because I am a descendant of a black homesteader. And I found out about land ownership through my grandmother. And my grandmother told me that her grandfather owned a lot of land. That's the statement, owned a lot of land. And she told me where the land was located. That was about it. So I had to go through my own genealogical journey to find the land. Mm -hmm. And I did find it. Not only did I find it, but one of my cousins had the original land patent, the original document, and I can send you that document. And this document actually was the least legal document that transferred the land ownership from the United States government to an individual. And he acquired 159.33 acres of land in Louisiana. And on the 1900 census, he is listed as a farmer who owns his land free and clear. And so sometimes you may have to go back and think about some of the clues that, that you have heard about land, or you may even visit at the family farm and don't even uh, didn't know that your family owned that land and how they got that land. And so through, through different research, mm -hmm. I learned mm -hmm. about the Homestead Act of 1862. Well, one good thing about knowing about this act is that if you find a patent, that's the end of the process. You need to take your folks to the beginning of the process. Right. right. And this is where I really push people to order their land case files, original documents that are at the National Archives. And it's so exciting because the document will say how old your ancestor mm -hmm. was, where mm -hmm. they were born, when they settled on the land, what did they do? How many rooms, I mean, they built a house, how many rooms, what did they build it out of? If they cultivated land, 
how much of that land was cultivated. Oh, and then, to, and you see, I get very excited, but they have witnesses, folks. This is the thing. They have the witnesses. Well, you start studying the witnesses and discover that those witnesses could also be African-Americans, and they also were homesteaders. And so I tell people, follow the witnesses. Mm -hmm. Look at the statements that they're putting in the land entry files. I saw one witness in a file say, Oh, I know him so well. I saw him yesterday. It is actually written in the file. Oh, and so wow. you're looking at the original papers that your ancestors breath over, and it's really giving you history that you never had before. In my ancestors' papers, he said, I've lived on this land for 10 years. And you know, we worry about what happened to the 1890 census. Well, his statement was before 1890. He got his land in 1896, which means I now can say this is when he lived there. This is right. where he was before 1890. Mm -hmm. And his daughter is my great-grandmother, who was born in 1879. And the granddaughter that told me the story is listed in the household in the 1900 census. So of course she knew about the land. She mm -hmm. was there on the land. She was there. See things in the newspaper? They actually had to put it in the newspaper. All of this information is in those case files. At the National Archives. At the National Archives. At the National Archives. The, you know, the document that you, um, that your cousin had, right, um, on the patent, um, so it sounds like that was conceived in 1896, you said, correct? That's when he got his land. Mm -hmm. So this is something that, you know, we've asked, um, previous guests is, you know, knowing how sometimes, um, families, they move, they travel, um, things change, they get uprooted. And a lot of the documents that we have, especially legal documents, don't always, um, travel with folks. And so do you have any sense in how this patent survived in your family? Yes, I do. My great-grandfather's daughter had it. Okay. And my cousin it is her great-grandmother. She was shaking the book and it was in the book. Okay. But she, you know, she gave me a copy of it okay. and it was signed by Grover Cleveland. And, uh, it, uh, but you can order, you can order a copy of the patent right. from the Bureau of Land Management. Right. And in fact, this is a very important site for individuals that are looking for land. But let me uh, explain to you one thing. That land was not available throughout the United States. It's 30 states, which means that the 13 original colonies and Texas were not a part of that. So we have to look at uh, all the other states to look at where people may have obtained land and spend time. I mean, those people in Florida and Alabama and Arkansas and Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, Kansas, just start looking because it is amazing what people have uh, uncovered about their ancestors since uh, they've started hearing more and more about the Black Homesteader Project.
so I love the story of your ancestors shaking this book, your relatives shaking this book, and then it falls out. And so I was curious about the information you had or that was on hand in the family already that also kind of said, you know, I want to, I think there's more to this story. Are there and, and, you know, been deeds or other kinds of sort of primary resource information that would give information about your family? Did you have some of that information on hand prior to this journey? Well, prior to this journey, I had a name, mm -hmm. which, which is important. I had a location, okay. which is also important. I even had a picture of my wow. ancestors because my great grand, um, excuse me, my grandmother gave me the picture of mm -hmm. her grandfather. Okay. So I, I had that, but I also had my mother okay. to help me along the way because she could verify, but she also knew how to contact people to get mm -hmm. other information to help me verify his existence. Okay. One important document that she found was the family Bible in which his name was listed in the okay, family okay. Bible mm -hmm. and his birthday of January 31st, 1855. So, I mean, I have the actual Bible and it, it was, you know, everything was recorded in that Bible. Um, I also went to the courthouse because, you know, you, you hear information, but for me, I like to, I, mean, I, I do a lot of online research, but there's just certain things you have to go to the place. And right. so I went to the courthouse and I found a marriage record that he um, got married in 1874, mm -hmm. only because my grandmother told me that she was named after her grandmother, Rebecca oh, Younger. Okay. And so I then, I wanted to, I did, I went, you know, systematically mm -hmm. to verify what I was told. And so as I did all of this verification, I also looked for information in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. I went to two courthouses and to all primary documents. Nice. Everything was primary. And with that, I decided to just write a book of my journey called Tracing Their Steps, a memoir, just so that people could understand that land didn't just pop up in my face, that once I was given this oral history, I went through a process of verifying everything to the point where I verified land and the how that land was acquired and even found went to the courthouse and was given the plaque to show me where the land was located. And I didn't stop there, of course. I continued because I wanted to know what happened to the land. Found all kinds of <laughs> oh yes. I mean this is what you do when you're when you're in this journey. You keep going until you feel you've exhausted everything you need to about this particular uh, issue. And so that's what I decided to do. You know, this is something we've been hearing a lot from a lot of genealogists of like all the different ways in which you need to find the evidence um, to speak to a, a particular question that you're trying to answer. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, if somebody is, you know, having some, they're running into some um, stumbling blocks with finding 
um, some of these representations of, you know, like looking at the census and seeing, you know, farmer, um, seeing that indicator um, in other in other areas as well. Um, in thinking about something you were mentioning around the witnesses um, being really important, and I'm wondering if you know, researcher, people who are researching their family histories and see that where their family lived um, was mostly, you know, a black community. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, and this, this is an assumption that um, you can definitely um, let me know if I'm on the right track, that, you know, most black homesteaders created all black communities or mostly black communities. And so if you're, maybe if you're looking at your community um, or maybe if you're looking at where your ancestor may have lived and seeing that they were in one of these communities, then maybe they can start connecting the dots to if they were a homesteader or not. If you, if you notice or you look at your community, you're doing community genealogy, I would say always try to answer the question, how did my ancestor acquire this land? And were they homesteaders? You could just ask the question. And by asking the question, it's gonna point you into a direction to verify or to find the answer. And that direction would include having the name of a person, having the location, and then going to a site called the Bureau of Land Management. With that site, you will put in the location, I mean, put in the state, if you know the county or the parish, you would put that in and then put the person's name. If they own land, it's going to come up right there. It's going to come up on that website mm -hmm. and you will see a copy of the patent. You will see related documents or people that are closely aligned with that land that may be some of the witnesses and some of those witnesses may also be African-Americans. And so that right there should set you into a whole different direction of research because the next step, as I mentioned before, the pattern is the end of the process. That means go back to the beginning of the process to obtain a copy of your case file. Nice. And that case file gives you the story that you want. Mm. Now I'm talking, no matter what state you're looking at or any of these 30 states, this is the same process you're going to find. But you're also going to find in some places, colonies. For example, in Nebraska, you have these uh, homesteading colonies. And the Center for Great Plains in Nebraska has focused a lot of their attention on these particular counties, these areas. Uh, there's Nicodemus, Kansas. And from 1877 to 1888, they had about 114 homestead patents. And that was about 18,000 plus acres of land. Then there's Blackton, New Mexico, DeWitty, Nebraska, Empire, Wyoming, Deerfield, Colorado, and Sully County, South Dakota. These are Black homesteads, colonies in the Great Plains. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 
luckily for, for those individuals that have ancestors there, it's been studied. What we haven't had was studies all over the United States. Okay. And so with the Black Homesteader Project uh, of the National Homestead Historical Park, they decided to expand the quote Black Homestead Project and look for Black homesteaders from throughout the United States. States okay. Right. Because I found my ancestor, my thing was, I'm going to talk about it. I created mm -hmm. a descendant of African-American homestead Facebook group and just started educating people, you know? Look, did your ancestor own land? If they own land, show me the evidence. Tell me they own land and I'll get the land patents for I'll get the land entry papers for you. And so that's what I did. Uh, after they got the land entry papers, I put together a template, mm -hmm. how to write your story. Just how to write your story. Go through the template, look at some of the questions, and then just started write, write the story. When did your ancestors settle on the land? You know, mm -hmm. how, how many acres did they, did they uh, apply for? Um, how much money did they have to put in? Who was on that land with them? Who were their witnesses? Mm -hmm. uh, describe what the house looked like. I mean, all of this was really designed to help them get the land into papers and to do a systematic review mm -hmm. of what they were looking for. And so this is, this is a project now that has grown. We now have 215 individuals on our Facebook group. Wow. And when they, get to the point, you know, where, okay, I found my ancestor, I verified this is my ancestor, Bernice, can you get these records for me? Okay, then I'll get them from the National Archives, and then they can write the story, send it to me, I'll review it, tweak it a little, send it back, and then send it to the Homestead National Historical Park oh, Service, awesome. and they then put it online which means our stories are now being told. And it's not just stories from the Great Plains. It's not a story that's being told by a staff person, but it's a story that's being written and told by a descendant. Yes. Descendants that have pictures, descendants that have information that nobody else would have but them. And they're telling the story from a descendant's perspective. So critical. And so, so this is what this Black Homesteader project is all about. Well, you said so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, okay, so what I need to do immediately once I'm done with this podcast is to get together whatever information I have and send it to Bernice. <laughs> that is so great because I have relatives in Webster, Louisiana. And so we have family land there. And it never occurred to me that it might be a homestead act part of that. So thank you. thank Just thank you for that part of it. The other part of it is offering that particular service is really awesome. So how did you decide that when you put this Facebook group together that you would be the one just give you the information and you would go research it as opposed to instructing or maybe maybe it's both. You're instructing folks on how to do the process as well of getting the stories from the National Archive. You decide to do it. My role, 
I I I want to say I want to service the catalyst. My <laughs> my role is to educate, to yes. encourage, inspire, to be the cheerleader, to to do whatever <laughs> needs to be done to encourage individuals to tell their story. And if it means that they have to call me up and just I have to walk them through their papers, then this is what will happen. But once a story is told and it's put on that website, I blast it all over Facebook because I congratulate people. I celebrate them because that's what that's what we should be doing. We're celebrating and we're also telling the world like people did on land under the Homestead oh, yeah. Act of 1862. And I can tell you, I, I, I think when I first put it up, I received a little pushback from individuals mm. saying, no, we were enslaved, we didn't get land. Really? And, I, oh, and okay. I, I realized that part of that is the missing narrative, the missing story Agreed. that because they haven't seen it, then why would they even think it? But if you can see it, then you can believe it. Right. And when you see whole communities coming together, I tell people, do your community, Jeannie, pay attention to what has happened from enslavement to land ownership. Because the, the, when you think about freedom, what did it mean? It meant, getting an education, getting a paid job, you know, going to, to the church of your choice and owning your piece of land. It didn't mean working somebody else's land. It meant owning your piece of land. And so that was the dream that every enslaved person had mm -hmm. when we talked about, well, what did freedom mean to me? We also had individuals that were former members of the United States Color Troops. Yes. And we know that because in some of the research, we find that they were Civil War soldiers. Mm -hmm. I found my own ancestor that one of his witnesses was a member of the United States Color Troops. So you start digging, and I mean, this whole picture just unfolds right before your eyes. And so this is what the whole goal of what we, and I say we because we are all descendants of homesteaders, we are telling our stories because we want people to understand. I found one uh, descendant of a homesteader and she now has a big blog, the Broomfield family blog. And mm -hmm. she has all of these uh, Broomfield homesteaders out of Mississippi. I didn't know her. She didn't know me, but we know each other now. The Florida homesteaders, two of them, identified over 100 Black homesteaders just out of Florida. The same thing with Alabama. They're there. It's just that once you get people into this uh, mindset of I'm going to find other homesteaders, right. they find them. They find them. Yeah. And that's because I'll put it in their head. You can find them. <laughs> the cheerleaders. And yes. I say, oh, no, we never got land. 
then why would anybody think about it? But now, you know, we, we run people to the slave schedule where you only have uh, uh, sex and age, but you don't have their names and you tell people that's your family. Well, Homestead, we have the records. We have the name. We have the land. We have even where the land is located. Let's put our energy into finding that also. That's a really great point. I and, mean, you know, I think because when we talk about tools, this is something that we typically do, um, Stephen and I, um, we, we ask people like, what are the tools? What are the resources that you typically go to? What are the go-tos? What would you recommend for people? And I love this idea that you're talking about of just putting this concept of look beyond some of the, the go-to resources and the ways in which we think or we you know, that we believe or assumed, you know, our ancestors lived and start looking at, you know, how they show up in other spaces. And I, I love this, you know, like putting it out there, like keep it in your mind, the Homestead Act, Homestead Act, and just make it a part of the vocabulary. So people add it to their genealogical journey. You know, you just get into your own, um, you know, your own groove and your own way of thinking. And, you know, it's like talking with people like you where it can really help to influence our thoughts and move us in a way that, you know, we could be successful with finding the people that we're looking for and finding out more about how they lived. And again, like you said, those, these genealogical communities, how, how we lived, um, how we lived as a community, I think is also very important. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, the exciting uh, part of doing this research was finding a large number of descendants that had land in the South. And so we have a book coming out. It's a, it's a collaborative book where the descendants have shared their stories uh, from Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida. And the History Press uh, is publishing this book. And so I'm very excited because you will now see these stories being told. Some people may have only written 500 words, whereas you may find 2,000 words from someone because yeah. they are really telling their stories and the pictures are amazing. When you see oh, wow. that not only did these people identify their homesteading ancestor, they also had a photograph of that homesteading ancestor in their suits, looking very <laughs> distinguished. Yes, yes. And so I am just so proud of the descendants for their willingness to tell their story and to share that story. They are all leaving a legacy for mm -hmm. others to follow yes. and for others to say, well, they did it. They found this land. And oh, look at all of the people that served as the, as the witnesses, because mm -hmm. what you see in these stories will be the information that they gathered from those case files. Mm -hmm. breaking it down when did they settle on the land who was in the land what kind of house they built uh how much the, uh, was the value how much land did they cultivate what kind of crop did they grow all of that's in the stories 
And you can't take that away from them because, you know, we're talking about a hundred and something years ago yeah. that this took place. Right. And now they're bringing it to the present. Right. They're bringing that past to the present. And I was so excited reading all of those stories. I told the the descendants, every time I look at a new story, it's like opening up a new Christmas present. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's so exciting. And I just love them because they are happy. They are excited. And it's something that they're sharing with family members that probably never even Mm -hmm. realized. Right, that right. they were on homestead land. So when you see that story from Michigan, or you see that story from Nebraska, or you see that story from Missouri, or you see that grandmother being taken to the land where her ancestors acquired land and her beautiful mm. picture with her holding soil because mm. her granddaughter took her there. Mm. That's something that you will see on the National Park Service website, but you will also see it in the book. Well, congratulations on that collective effort. It sounds amazing. We're looking forward to seeing it when it comes out. I want to remind our listeners that all the amazing resources um, that Bernice has shared with us today will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here with us and talking with us, Bernice, about the Homestead Act um, and how, you know, it really did benefit uh, Black families. And mm-hmm. it's just been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I'm happy to know that, you know, we can easily connect with you on Facebook. You know, you have to understand while we identify the land and we tell the story, there's also more to the story. And that's what happened to the land. But, you know, right now, my focus is on gathering the information, telling the story about the acquisition, and then taking it from there. There's always a part one and there's a part two. Thank you for allowing me to, to share what's, what's like I said, Christmas every day. 